Welcome to Club and Country here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is not, in fact, Wes Bowling. It is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I am Tim Sullivan. I am the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com, which you may recognize as Club and Country. Happens to be the name of this podcast as well, and that is no coincidence. Uh, of course, special thanks to Moon Taxi for providing us all the amazing music here on the show. We've got a great show planned as the preseason is upon us. We will hear from newly acquired midfielder Sean Davis. We'll talk some roster changes. We've got some preseason conversation to get to as there are matches pending on the schedule, some of which we know who they're going to play, some of which we do not. Uh, There's an international window, of course, that's open right now as the uh, U.S. men's national team, including yours, superstar defender, Walker Zimmerman. See, my my dog Henry's all all about that. Um, We'll talk about Walker guy. Yes, huge Walker guy. Uh, International window coming up, of course. We'll talk about that, and we'll get into a live mailbag where you also hear from head coach Gary Smith on the move to the Western Conference. So a lot of stuff coming up today on the show, Tim. However, I I would like to take this moment, because the reason I'm hanging out with you guys today, instead of the great and venerated Wes Bowling, um, is that he is dealing with some family stuff. Uh, He's taking care of it all. Everybody's doing okay. But I do think, Tim, that we should get every one of the people that listen to this great show that loves West Bowling, send West Bowling on Twitter at West Bowling TN, right? Is that correct? Send him just photos, no words. Send him photos of Smokey Dog. Okay. Just send <laughs> West Bowling on Twitter, just picture random photos of Smokey Dog. I think it'll cheer him up. What do you think? I, you know, there are various Tennessee oriented things that will make Wes happy. And that is certainly one when you mix, when you mix university of Tennessee with dogs, there's, there's nothing better, I think in Wes's mind. So yes, if, I, I agree. It's a good call. If the dog is swimming in a pool of bourbon and he's a smoky dog, that's the only thing that would make him happier. But uh, so just listen, it, we're thinking about you, Wes, uh, get back home safely. And uh, that's the reason everyone has to listen to, to my ridiculous uh, voice today on the show. Let's get to some roster moves for Nashville SC because the preseason is upon us. Here was the newly minted midfielder for Nashville SC, Sean Davis. First of all, I think that Nashville is a club that's gotten so many things right, not only in its MLS tenure, but also uh, dating back to the USL days. And so um, as soon as free agency opened on December 15th, um, it was great to get to understand where this club has been, um, you know, It helped me understand how they've done so well uh, in just their first two years, and it gave me great confidence in what the club can achieve going forward. Now, in terms of personally why I decided to join Nashville, um, you know, first of all, I look at the locker room, and I have a lot of admiration for how it was constructed. You know, I look around, and I felt like it was a group that I could immediately connect with. Um, you know, not only did I know several guys, including Alex and Dax, um, Danny Lovitz from PDL, Taylor Washington from Growing Up, uh, Brian Meredith is from Jersey. I mean, I could go down the list of different guys, but you can also talk about how many guys want to be part of the MLSPA and want to be player reps. And I was the rep since uh, 2015 in New York, and so I think that was another strong indication that I'd fit in with this group. And there's just uh, a lot of MLS veterans, both both domestic and international. That's something that um, you know I identify as, and I really appreciate their focus on um, you know MLS experience. You know, on top of that, uh, you know, I think that they also value a lot of things that I bring to the game, uh, coming from New York. Extremely disciplined team defensively. They value de- defensive work rate. Um, but at the same time, you know, I really appreciate the progress that they made from year one to year two with the ball. And already in my first few sessions uh, and working with Gary and the group, uh, I can see that I, I can see how they progressed. And so, um, you know, I think that's an area of my game uh, that I can continue to improve on. And so I saw an opportunity to continue to grow as a player. All right, that was Sean answering my question to him about why Nashville SC was the perfect choice for his career to continue. This is a guy who came up in the Red Bull Academy and has only played for New York Red Bulls over the course of his professional career so far. And um, Nashville SC went out and got him in free agency. As as regular listeners know, Wes and I at first didn't believe it to be possible. And then we slowly saw it coming over a slow motion avalanche, I guess you could say. And now we know that Sean Davis will be an important member of this club going forward. So obviously it's number one, the biggest acquisition of the offseason. Certainly we'll talk about Alistair Johnston in just a second, but just what, what are expectations? What's a reasonable expectation 
for Davis in, in the midfield in terms of playing minutes, because I, I don't know if people don't know this, but Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy are still here on the roster. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the thing that you could look at in terms of what Davis brings is if you were to kind of come up with a guy who studied under Dax for a, a couple years in New York and is essentially the same thing as Dax, but five or six years younger, you might come up with Sean Davis. In fact, you would literally come up with Sean Davis because that's his career arc. When Dax was with Red Bulls, he was kind of a mentor to Sean and those guys get along really well. Sean is also very close friends with Alex Mwil, who Nashville picked up from Red Bulls a couple summers ago. So this is a guy who already is, is pretty familiar with some of the people on the roster. He's pretty familiar with what are the demands going to be. Dax McCarty is definitely going to fill him in on all that. And there's nobody more demanding than Dax probably in terms of, of a guy that you need to live up to. So these are all the sorts of things that that Wes and I were so excited about when it became clear that Sean was going to be a realistic possibility for Nashville SC to pick up and now that that's reality I, I do think that you're going to see him take some of the load off of off of Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty and, and probably more likely Dax who is who is approaching my age he will never catch me uh, I think that's how ages work but, <laughs> but he's I am not going out there and playing a 90 minute MLS game and I, I can't begrudge Dax for needing a little bit more rest as he gets up in years either. Uh, plus, I wouldn't mind hearing him in the booth more often, you know, like uh, the guy did a spectacular job calling games. Not that I don't want him on the pitch. I do. Uh, but occasionally getting to hear him call games. Uh, absolute joy. Um, the other big move, of course, and you guys talked about why this took place and maybe why it was a smart move, even though we're all going to watch the U.S.-Canada match on Sunday a little differently because <laughs> we sort of had a, a small place in our heart for that team. Uh, maybe for the last few matches or the, or, or the entirety of, the, U, of the, the qualifying because of Alistair Johnston being a Nashville SC player. Now he's no longer on the team, of course. It's going to make watching a team that has risen through the FIFA ranks extraordinarily fast over the last, what, 12 months or so uh, mm. behind his play. O outside of Sean Davis stepping in and Alistair Johnston moving out, what are the big – are there any big pieces that fans need to know about in terms of uh, – otherwise it seems like the – the vast majority of the starting lineup will be very familiar to fans who are coming back to the game here in February. Yeah, I think for the most part, when you look at this team, it's going to look pretty much the exact same, except you might want to swap in Sean Davis for Dax or Godoy occasionally, and, and you're going to have to find a new right back. Um, obviously, because of the amount that he's played for Canada, Nashville SC got a little bit used to playing without Johnston. MLS played through a couple of the international windows. He came back from one of them a little bit nicked up and, and was unable to play for a couple weeks. Uh, I think fans are probably not going to be that excited that it, it probably means quite a bit of Eric Miller at right back. But if you're going to look at what this Nashville team could do to upgrade itself over last year's squad, it could be finding a high profile right back to step in and play a lot of those minutes. Obviously Nashville SC is going to have at least one designated player spot open. Jean Dercades is no longer with this club. His, his loan uh, from Benfica has ended and you can say, Hey, there's a, there's a high dollar spot. Most clubs aren't going to spend a designated player spot on a defender, but if any, if any coach in this league would love to do that, obviously it would be Gary Smith. So, so I think uh, maybe a more attacking oriented guy. That's something that when we talked to Mike Jacobs uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said, yeah, that was a spot where we really liked what Alistair gave us, but we want a little bit more of attacking prowess. And that's something that I think um, Eric Miller probably isn't going to provide a ton of attacking prowess. And that, and that could maybe be a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's to come for this club as the regular season approaches. Now, I don't know if I'm giving away state secrets here, but I had probably a similar reaction to hearing your starting right back is going to be Eric Miller to many of the fans, as you mentioned. However, you did push back on that when I said, Oh, that's, that's the answer. That's going to be the answer. <laughs> and you did push back a little bit on that. Yeah. I think Eric Miller gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, unfortunately for him is a matter of timing in his second game in his, in the first year of this Nashville SC franchise, he was partially culpable for a Portland Timbers goal. And then uh, soccer and all other sports stopped for about six months. So, so fans really remembered that one moment. And that's what really has him stuck in their minds as a dude who makes horrible mistakes. Uh, I don't really think he is a guy that makes horrible mistakes. He's also not a very exciting right back. I think if you get rid of Alistair Johnson and say, okay, we're going to get more exciting. Miller is not the answer there either. He's, he's a, a guy who's going to go out and, and kind of be workmanlike and get the job done more than anything. So largely a similar roster. They take a, a large step back for whatever, again, wh whether you love or hate the guy it, it is a step back from Johnson. There's no question mm -hmm. the, the skill and the upside for him. If they decide to move him, you know, use him in more of a, 
a two-way role that, that you could just see the potential on that, on that kid for so long. And it's why Canada was, is playing so well. Um, let's go to the top of the formation. What, what about the striker rotation? Of course, you mentioned Yonder Kadi's not no longer on the roster, no longer on this team. They still have a couple of big names. What does that rotation look like atop the formation for Gary Smith this year in, in, a, in a perfect world? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that Cadiz is not going to be back is because of the year that CJ Sapong had in 2021. Um, this is a guy who kind of had, I, I don't want to say late career renaissance because he's hes even farther uh, young than me, than, than Dax is, but uh, yeah, that's not how you say it. I don't care, Britton. Um, it's, it's, nice, it's nice grammar, buddy. Nice grammar. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. It's only what I do professionally. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, I mean, he's a guy, he's a guy who's kind of having a, a, a second act in Nashville after um, having some stop start moments in Chicago, Philadelphia. He's a guy who needed a, a fresh start and got exactly what he needed and, and had a career year basically last year. You don't want to take that guy off the field. And so I think he's going to get the majority of the starters minutes. Ake Loba is a guy who I think they're going to play a little bit more on the wing this year, just because they want to get him onto the field and they don't want to take Sapong off the field. But this is a guy who also can, can rotate in at the striker position. And then, um, you know, you can't forget about Daniel Rios, a guy who unfortunately hasn't been able to remain healthy enough to be a regular member of the rotation, but has the skill when he is healthy. I, you know, I think regular listeners are probably very well aware that I'm, I'm always kind of pining for that healthy moment for Daniel Rios because when he does have the opportunities I think he's he's the most talented striker on this roster probably wow. unless you want to consider Hani Mukhtar a striker which he sometimes plays kind of a pseudo striker role which is obviously another important piece of that attack so that's another thing that um, when you look at if you need to shoehorn a guy in there if if Sapong goes down injured and, and you need to sub Loba out you can play Hani up top you can play a guy like Randall Leal up top it's not ideal. Those guys are more creators than finishers, but um, we've seen that Hani Mukhtar can definitely get the finishing part of it done, whether that's from a striker position or from another position uh, slightly deeper on the pitch. And then again, that designated player spot, if, if they don't go out and use that on a right back, uh, Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith have always been very open that designated player spots are, are largely for attacking players. And that's something that you could say, hey, if, if they get to the summer window and say, we don't quite have the scoring punch that we want. I think they would look internationally and try and pick up a guy who comes on that higher price tag with a designated player spot. Well, and if you're going to invest like $423, million on, on a, on a forward, you probably need to play him. So Loba probably needs to get onto the field. Um, there's no question yeah. about that. We'll, yeah, we'll he's, get... I mean, he's going to play one way or another. It's just a right. matter of how they get him on the field now. We'll get to the draftees in here in just a second, but you mentioned Rios, obviously a former USL guy. I think there's a lot of people that watch that team that, that sort of pined for his, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was, 25 goals he scored that yeah. one season where he led USL. Um, there is some news, though, on the roster as it pertains to the USL, um, as Matt LaGrasa is also moved on from this roster. A uh, little single tear and pour one out for Matt LaGrasa. He's a quality member of that, that squad, squad, man. Yeah, and LaGrasa was always a, a guy who went out and, and kind of was a lunch pail guy and not necessarily always exciting, but um, to see him go... Fortunately for him, he managed to sign in USL with his hometown club, Sacramento Republic. But that leaves Taylor Washington as the last USL original on this team. Um, Rios joined in the second year of USL. So um, for the longtime fans, it's, it's a, probably a little bit more bittersweet for the people who just uh, joined Nashville SC fandom in 2021. They say, what, this guy played a couple hundred minutes. Who cares? But um, even in the first year of MLS, LaGrasa played a major role. So that's yeah, a guy yeah. who this, that's a guy who I think. Um, newer fans aren't going to quite appreciate, but definitely, I think, um, you know, maybe a little bit of uh, respect for the history of, of what he gave to this club, even if you didn't get to see it firsthand this past season. Absolutely. Taylor Washington from the beginning, uh, still still with the squad and playing, a, you know, playing a meaningful minutes down the stretch last season. So uh, mm -hmm. as he continues to develop. All right. What do you make of the, the draft class here? They, they made some moves on draft day. They traded. What, what do you make of the guys that are coming in? Yeah. There are two draftees, and I think one of them is, um, based on the way that Mike Jacobs talked, a guarantee to be a longtime member of this franchise, and that's Ahmed Longmire. Um, Wes and I talked about him last week. I spoke with his uh, college coach at UCLA, um, and Ryan Jordan, the, the coach, said this, this is a guy who, if he hadn't been injured his senior year, would have been a top-five pick. He would not have been available to Nashville SC to trade up to number 10 and still have this guy available. So I do think that it's likely he kind of takes his time getting prepared um, everybody's been pretty open that this is a guy who needs to get physically ready for the game. He's very skinny. Um, he doesn't quite have that level of, of mass to kind of survive at the MLS level. He doesn't have the technical ability 
quite developed yet. He has the, he has the talent, but he doesn't have the skill quite built up yet. I think a year in USL to kind of get him ready. We've seen Nashville do that with Jack Mayer. We saw them do it with Luke Hawkinson. Guys have come into this club and gone to USL and, and a lot of MLS clubs might say, okay, we sent him to USL for a year and, and you'll forget about him forever. We've seen Nashville bring those guys back and, and have a lot of success with them. So that's something to really keep an eye on. Then Akron goalkeeper, Will Meyer is a guy who, if he goes to USL this year, he might, he might have that more traditional other MLS club path where it says, okay, unless he really lights it up, this is a guy who, um, you know, could go to USL and then, and then kind of find that that's his level. Um, I don't think that's a guarantee. Nashville didn't draft him because they think he's a USL caliber player. They passed on their third round draft pick. So we know that they're very willing to say, okay, there's nobody that we want. We're not going to bother with it. But Meyer is a guy who's going to have to prove himself, whether that's in training camp right now in the preseason or somebody who goes at least for the first half of the year to a USL club and, and says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to show that I belong here. Well, and I think, and we'll talk preseason international window and, and moving to the Western conference here in just a moment. But I do feel like with a, a, the third year of a, of a still young franchise in a market that is still sort of tying itself to soccer, very, you know, it's going to be entrenched soon. I, I do think it's helpful that by and large, the vast majority of the roster is going to be the same as people you know, like this is the time of year where, where people start to watch hockey again. They, 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 rem <laughs> they're removed from their football coma and they're back to watching hockey and soccer and all this stuff. And I think it certainly is helpful to, to have a, an opportunity to sort of, you know, like, again, the casual fans going to come back to this team and recognize almost everybody. And I think that's important. Yeah. And I think it also helps with a guy, for example, like Longmire to, to be one of very few additions or, or certainly for a guy like Davis to be one of very few additions because fans feel like they can get to know them better. They've already gotten to know Hani Mukhtar, Ronda Leal, all these guys over the course of the past couple of years. And they can kind of really feel like, okay, this is the guy that I want to learn more about for this one preseason for this month and a half here that that is going to be the guy that I learn about. And, and it helps those guys become a little bit more popular among fans as well. All right, let's get to the preseason here for Nashville SC. Um, five matches on the books right now, starting January 28th, running through mid-February. Um, they've got Charlotte on the 8th, Cincinnati on the 15th, and the Union, Philadelphia, of course, on the 18th. The other games have not been decided. I, uh, you know, what, what is exactly the goal here, especially for, again, like a team that we just talked about, has a lot of continuity, coaching staff, front office, roster is largely intact from two, you know, pretty deep runs. Uh, not as deep as they would like, but certainly playoff <laughs> runs. What 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 exactly is the goal? Is it is it fitness? Is it reacclimation? Is it what what is Gary Smith targeting and trying to accomplish with with these five preseason matches? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing is is these two TBD matches that have yet to have a an opponent announced because those are probably going to be the ones that are more about fitness, more about kind of like a scheme install sort of situation. You they're more likely to be either. Uh, maybe a club from like Sweden that takes a long winter break for obvious reasons. They don't want to be playing outside in Sweden right now. So they take a long winter break and a lot of them have kind of a mid season training camp in Florida. Um, and then USL teams are the other primary option there. Um, Nashville has played against Louisville city. They've played against Tampa Bay rowdies in the past. You kind of want the opportunity to play somebody that isn't necessarily relevant for exactly what you have going forward. Unlike Charlotte FC, SC Cincinnati and Philadelphia union who are in your league, they're all on your schedule too. Those are three of the Eastern conference teams that Nashville is going to face this season, even though they're moving to the West. So um, when you get to those games, that's probably a bit more about evaluating your personnel who, who can really be the guys who can contribute in games like that versus the other two that are, that are a little bit more about kind of let's focus on us and let's, let's figure out, where we are physically, where we are tactically, whereas those those three known opponents are the ones where you can kind of say, okay, who fits into what situation exactly? Who can we kind of plug into a spot subbing for this guy in the 60th minute in, in certain game situations? And those are the sorts of things that um, we've seen Gary Smith get very right in past preseasons. And I think there's a really good uh, assumption that that would happen again. So right back and striker rotation. There you have it. You want yeah, those two. they're, they're going to just listen back right. to the, the previous portion of this podcast and say, okay, that's right, what we need right. to do in those three games. <laughs> yes, there's our unsolicited coaching advice for the MLS championship <laughs> coach, uh, Coach Gary Smith. Um, I, I do have a – and this isn't really a rant here. I know you like to put everything on me and make it sound like <laughs> I'm the one ranting. This isn't really a rant as much as it is I feel like it's a missed opportunity or maybe it's a potential opportunity, talking about unsolicited advice here. Um, uh, Tim, as we, as we sort of work through this preseason – 
And, and I don't know if you, you've ever seen the F1 documentary of, uh, on Netflix, Drive to Survive, I think is the name of it. Mm-hmm. It is a, a supremely beautiful documentary about sports, not only because F1 is incredibly cinematic, like the cinematography of F1 is just beautiful, right? You're in Dubai and you're in, you know, uh, Monaco and you're in all these beautiful places with beautiful people and the colors of the cars and the tracks are so vibrant. It, it really translates well to television. The PGA Tour has also announced it's going to do a similar type of backstory, background, unprecedented access to the PGA Tour on Netflix. They are basically the best people right now as it pertains to sports documentaries. I feel like these leagues and these sports are looking at a landscape in America and they're seeing football at the top, of course, and they're seeing opportunity. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, these these sports aren't like growing with huge numbers to take over that number two slot behind football. It feels like the MLS has an opportunity and maybe more spe- specifically Nashville SC in Nashville. These, these organizations have opportunities to me to market their product a little bit better because there is space for them to sort of catch mm-hmm. on and grow. And I feel like the PJ tour clearly gets it with this decision. I would love to see an MLS style behind the scenes, all access, you know, whatever it might be. Peter Laviolette was great. How many times have I ever said that sentence? Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter Laviolette was great on that uh, HBO 24 seven thing, right? Where they did mm-hmm. the whole deal during the Stanley cup playoffs. We got, Un, you know, just interesting content that drove interest in the product. I feel like this is an opportunity for the MLS to do something like this as they are sort of to sort of capitalize on their momentum, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, so the first year of Los Angeles Football Club, they had something kind of like that. They had a kind of behind the scenes deal. And I, I would compare it to like an NFL hard knocks. I think the difference with hard knocks in the NFL is the NFL doesn't feel like it needs to market its product and it, it is correct in that. So it, it is very um, kind of lifestyle oriented. It's, 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 a, it's a more uh, high sheen product than what is actually like, okay, we're showing you actually what's going on here. And they, they kind of right. try to portray it like it's what's actually going on, but they know exactly where their, their bread is buttered there. And they don't really need to give you a whole lot. The LAFC documentary that, that ESPN did a couple of years ago was, was, Honestly, it was it was extremely kind of uh, ex- uh, what's the word I'm looking say for? It, say it. It was it was it was very transparent. I guess is okay. is, is what I'm trying to get get at here. It, and you know they were they were walking into a room and and saying, okay, we're going to trade for this guy. Let's go get it done. And and you we're going to call the other guy into the room and say, hey, we're letting you go so that we can free up some allocation money to sign our our, our team captain and stuff like that. Nashville is a club that that doesn't have the market of Los Angeles. Um, believe it or not, uh, for all the for all the Nash Vegas talk, we are we are still not a big market city, and I think that kind of a little bit more of that sort of transparency, a little bit more of kind of putting your product on the shelf and saying, "Hey, look at this." I agree with you. It's it's something that would serve this franchise specifically, and I think MLS kind of more broadly, each each club would would benefit from this in their market and say, "Hey." take a look at us. We, we are here. We are an interesting product, not just for the soccer, but also for kind of the, the armchair GMing and all those sorts of things that fans really like to get into. And um, that's something that I think could really benefit the league. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two different conversations, right? There's Nashville SC marketing to Nashville and middle Tennessee mm-hmm. in the region. And then there's MLS as a product trying to market its stars, market its brands. And I think one of the things that makes the F1 documentary so great. And I think what's, what's going to make the golf documentary great is sort of the locations right the locations Mm -hmm. are what sells in those two things well that's not necessarily the case for for mls because you're playing in sort of stadiums around the country you're not not excited to go to fort lauderdale florida and see the sites that does sound that does perhaps sound like a backhanded compliment but i didn't mean it that way i meant it as just like what to me and, and what sells are the truly the sights and sounds like the, the, the supporters groups, the fan yeah. bases, the actual crowds, the songs, the singing, like all this stuff that makes being a soccer fan fun and why my five-year-old loves going to games and why she's a season ticket holder for the new stadium is because of all of that stuff. And that's the stuff that really sells is the, the diversity and the personalities and, you know, like the like literally everything about going to a game. It's not necessarily Nissan Stadium that sells. It's the supporter yeah. group. That's what sells. And so I, I think that would look great on a on a high high level documentary. I think that stuff would work. So I don't know. And oh, by the way, it would help grow interest in your sport. I don't know. Just a thought. 
Yeah. And I, I think that MLS has tried to kind of lean into the let's let's show off our supporters rather than just the product on the field. Right. Yes, they want to show off the product on the field, but that would be a great way to continue kind of saying, hey, we're about more than just the product on the field, too. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think Netflix right now, for my money, are the best people out there doing sports documentaries. Cannot wait for PGA Tour one. Uh, F1 is a huge recommendation. I hope MLS get something in their brain about doing something like this. I think it would be great. I think it would be awesome. Uh, I think fans would respond to it in a big way, and I think it would help the sport, and I think it would just be fun. Uh, so there you go. Uh, there's your preseason rundown with a little mini rant about documentaries and access. Imagine that, me complaining about access. Um, to, complaining to, about documentary. Oh, let's documentary. complain about documentaries. Documentaries and access. We're coming for you, Ken Burns. Hey, hey, listen. The virtual Zoom world has ruined access to players and teams. I will complain about it all I want to. Okay, Tim? All right. <laughs> I know you feel my pain. Uh, all right. So let's move on. And uh, we've got a little international window here for the U.S. men's national team. All right. So we are into, I guess this is the January uh, mm-hmm. bracket here. And you've got Thursday, of course, this game coming up 630 Central Time against El Salvador. Uh, that one is in Columbus, Ohio. Then you've got Sunday, the big match with first place in the CONCACAF. Canada technically is in first place, the U.S. in second place. That one is at 2.05 p.m. Central Time. Uh, that one is in Canada, so that'll be mm-hmm. nice and warm. Uh, and then, of course, Wednesday against Honduras at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. That one in St. Paul. So Speaking the of Swedish, warm. <laughs> I was going to say, if the Swedish soccer team wants to hang out in St. Paul and give, <laughs> give the U.S. men's national team some pointers, that would be great. Um, obviously, Walker Zimmerman is going to be a part of this. Uh, just number one, first of all, your, your, where does this team stand, in your opinion? Six matches to go, second place. They've been pretty productive. They've got a nice goal differential. Where does the, the path back to the World Cup stand for you, in your opinion, with six matches left to go? Yeah, I think what they need to do is, is win both of the home matches in this window, which is, which is kind of an, a platitude. It's so obvious. But if they do that, if they get any result off of Canada – uh, and particularly if they were to steal a win in Hamilton, Ontario, this team is this team is going to the World Cup at that stage. It would require ten times worse than what happened last cycle for for this team to not make it to Qatar. But um, I do think, uh, despite the fact that they can't officially qualify with a top three spot and a guaranteed trip to Qatar over this window, they're they're real close. They can guarantee themselves a top four finish, which would at least be the uh, intercontinental playoff against either Oceania, uh, Asia, or Africa. Um, I believe the draw has already been made. I don't. I think it's against uh, Oceania, which would almost certainly be New Zealand. Um, but th- this this team is. I don't want to say night and day different from the 2018 team that failed to qualify because there are a lot of similarities and there are like some of the weaknesses are kind of the same. You have a heavy MLS base, which um, from our perspective means Walker Zimmerman is there, which is very exciting, but it also means that maybe the ceiling is a little bit lower specifically for this window. There are a lot of guys, top end guys, not called in for this window. John Anthony Brooks, who plays for Wolfsburg in Germany is probably the most notable uh, omission. Gio Reyna, who plays for Dortmund also in Germany um, is, is out injured. He's had a hamstring injury since like September He's supposed to be coming back soon. It sounds like Dortmund's medical team is kind of playing a little bit, <laughs> playing a little bit loose and fast with the you have to release guys during a FIFA window rules. But I do think when you look at as long as they they beat the two worst teams in this, uh, the Ocho, I guess is what we're calling it. Everybody oh, has a different okay. nickname for it. The Octagonal, I think, is the official no, I, I name. Like, but yeah. I like the Ocho better. Yeah. That's good. So yeah. As, as long as you take down the two worst teams in the Ocho over this window, you're feeling okay. It's it would take a real disaster for things to go sideways and, and not make the World Cup. And I think that's the biggest picture item is that this this nation is is bound to get a little bit of redemption maybe from from last cycle around. I, I think you're right to talk about how different this team feels like mentally than than mm-hmm. than the 2018 team. Also, just the way they finished a game recently, mm-hmm. <laughs> the way they finished the match. I, I feel yeah. like a couple of those like what the Mexico match and a couple other ones just being mm-hmm. able to to come back and finish late in the second half. Now I know they've had their issues in the first half, right? And we want to see them play better in the first half. But I I do think that watching them finish the way they have in this competition, I think there's a clear mindset change, you know, attitude change, mental toughness change, whatever you want to call it. So Mm -hmm. um, I I do think that's a positive. And and yeah, like if you, if you beat the two worst teams, you should be in good shape Um, around the rest of the group of the Ocho. I should say, uh, Randall Leal, of course, with Costa Rica, Anibal Godoy, who was the captain for that Panama team that beat U.S., uh, beat the U.S. squad in qualifying down there in Panama. Um, I, my first question before you get to either one of these two guys, do, do fans, like, do you, 
are we rooting for these two guys to be playing in the World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, okay. I think All right. especially especially this year because the World Cup is after MLS season and it's not really going to affect National SC. Oh, that's true. If that's true. if they're gone. So that in that case, yes, but these are also guys that that fans really like <laughs> on a personal level. These are these are good dudes who who fans would love to see be happy and have success. Uh, Randall Leal has not always had that with Costa Rica. The Costa Rica national team is at something of a crossroads and he's kind of been vocal in his frustration about that. Oh, uh, really? Times, you, but... you think so? <laughs> just, just go walk through an airport in Costa Rica. <laughs> exactly. Um, Godoy is obviously um, such a, a key part for Nashville, but this is a dude, like you mentioned, captains Panama that took them to their first world cup four years ago. Uh, if they made it two in a row after never having previously been, I think that would be something that would probably make him a legend in his country. And I think that is something that would be very exciting for both of these guys to be able to make it to the world cup. I think there's a decent chance Godoy at least gets Panama to that fourth place spot and the intercontinental playoff. I have a hard time seeing Leal's Costa Rica qualify though. Yeah. 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 Emi, by the way, I forgot about the timing of all the scheduling. So of mm -hmm. course I'm rooting for them. Of course I am. <laughs> that was a stupid question by me because I completely forgot about the timing. So that's, that's my fault. I apologize. Either way, you got three big matches for the U.S., El Salvador, Canada, Honduras on Thursday, Sunday, and Wednesday. So while you're trying to consume preseason matches for Nashville SC, you've also got, obviously, the U.S. men's qualifying taking place. Let's get to a live. This is like a press conference style mailbag. Are you, are you okay with that, Tim? <laughs> oh, let's do it. I'm, I'm up here at the podium ready to go. All right. Well, I'm going to put you on hold then because we're going to go to Gary Smith first. Here was his commentary about moving to the Western Conference. When I look at the games in the East, in the Western Conference, there's there's a more strategic and possession orientated feel to that. Especially the further west you go, is that due to the climate? Is it due to the um, you know just the the makeup of the teams? I don't know. But as you start to come into the sort of Midwest areas with you know Kansas and and Minnesota, you're getting back to what I might class as a more Eastern-looking divisional team. Now, the simple fact is both divisions are very, very tough to play in. The challenge for us on this occasion, playing in the Western Conference, having had two good years in the Eastern Conference as a brand-new franchise, is that there are a lot of... Um, there's a lot of appreciation of the teams that we've already played against. I think we've earned a little bit of respect. I'm not going to overdo the respectful uh, chatter because I might be speaking out of turn. But I think we've earned a little bit of respect with what we've achieved and how we've gone about our business as a brand new franchise. That respect counts for something when you're playing against talented and capable teams. We've earned the right to, you know, to put a little bit of doubt and a little bit of fear in people's minds what we're capable of in the Eastern Conference. When we go to the West, I can count on one hand the teams that we've run into. And the majority of those teams, we will have changed quite dramatically since we played them early on in our very first year. So not only have we got to get used to their style... You know, there's a completely different look and feel to those games that we're going to undertake for the majority of the season. All right, Tim, that was Coach Smith talking about moving to the Western Conference. And I think if you're a, a casual fan, and you don't track this team day in and day out, you, you could lose sight of the fact that you're going to be an entirely new league, basically, and that they didn't play a mm -hmm. whole lot of these teams over the last two years with the pandemic and all the other stuff that's taking place. Wave your hands around in the air wildly to signal everything. Um what what exactly because coach smith talked about some interesting sort of dynamics at play there between knowledge between two teams and two sides in a match and i thought that was interesting because a lot of times you hear you know football coaches or basketball coaches talk about the unfamiliarity is a benefit if you don't know about us that's a benefit to us and while coach smith doesn't always you know speak in football like american football language mm -hmm. um he has his own vernacular of course what exactly is he saying when he talks about like a disadvantage to the fact that the Western conference doesn't know Nashville SC try to explain that to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess one thing that 
um, I didn't think about until just now when you were talking about it is, is Nick Saban uh, happy or sad that people know what Alabama is all about? I think he's, he's glad because it's kind of an intimidating force and Nashville isn't Nashville isn't the most talented team in major league soccer, but the way the boys in gold play is kind of a, a, a difficult nut to crack, even if you know what's coming and perhaps especially if you know what's coming. And I think that's a big part of what he was trying to get at and saying, Hey, Teams know that we're going to be tough to break down and that's it's on them to try and figure that out. And yes, they know coming in. So that makes it a little bit it, it gives them time to prepare for it. But at the same time, you're kind of building yourself up as, as, as kind of this difficult situation for them to deal with. And there's an intimidation factor that goes into that. It's like the United States playing uh, Honduras in, in St. Paul saying, hey, we know the weather's going to be bad. It's bad for both of us, but we're the ones who are kind of embracing it. I think that's a big part of what he's kind of going for there. OK, all right. I, I can see that angle. But normally you have to be sort of like the big physical snarling space alien monster to, to like, you know what I'm saying? Like Nick to, Saban, to a degree, but to a you know degree though, this Nashville team is that maybe not necessarily in the attack, but they're going to say, Hey, we've got Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney back there. Yeah. Do what you think you can do because we know that you can't beat us with that. Yeah, Joe, Joe Willis standing back there too. Yeah. Um, so, okay. No, 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 uh, just those two. Just those two. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So what, what exactly do people need to know? about the dynamics of being in the Western Conference. Certainly the travel will be very different. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to be a huge factor. Predators fans know all about that in Nashville as well. What, what, what else outside of just travel, um, what, what do people need to understand about Western Conference soccer? As you heard Coach Smith allude to some of the differences in style, what do people need to know about the Western Conference? Yeah, I think when you look at the two conferences this past season, the Eastern Conference was quite a bit stronger to me. They were pretty even in, in some of the head-to-head matchups because those head-to-head matchups were so few in a, in a pandemic-shortened year. But the East felt stronger to me, and it, that was that's not necessarily everybody's opinion. I know that there have been some varying opinions about that. But when you look at some of the teams that were down, which were all three Texas teams, Austin, Houston, Dallas, and the two LA teams, uh, LAFC and LA Galaxy, All of those teams are pretty bad last year, but they're going to be a little bit more dedicated than I think a a typical Eastern Conference team might be to to making a one-year turnaround to that. Like if Orlando City wasn't good one year, they aren't going to go out and say, hey, we need to do whatever it takes to fix that. Whereas LA Galaxy and LAFC especially are two teams that say, hey, we are this sort of flagship team. So so we have to go out and spend. We have to go out and, and make the right decisions to make this happen for us. So even if the West was a little bit weaker this past season, I wouldn't necessarily see that being the case going forward. And then, as you mentioned, the travel is difficult, but the, the nature of the travel is also that you're seeing such varying conditions too. You're going to be playing games in swamps in Houston. You're going to be playing games in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. You're seeing a, a much broader type of uh, you know, what this continent can offer in terms of what conditions you have to deal with. And in terms of teams that are built specifically for those conditions, the Texas teams are going to be built to run you and wear you down. The teams in the Pacific Northwest are teams that are maybe a little bit uglier because they need to know that they can play in the rain because they're going to be playing in the rain quite a bit. So you do have to deal with, I think, more breadth of styles. I don't necessarily think that there's a a West style versus an East style, but I think there's a little bit more diversity in the game across the Western Conference too. And and of course, you've got, you know, teams in the mountains and teams down on the coast, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a whole lot. So you would say just stylistically there's not a a through line from eastern conference teams and western conference teams it's not like pac-12 football where it's just a more wide open offensive Mm -hmm. style of game you're saying it's just it's more about the fact that you're going to see varying landscapes and different conditions is what you're saying is most important for people to note yeah, I, I almost think it's it's more like a modern SEC where you're going to have your Alabamas, but then you're going to have Alabama kind of grow up and, and have a, a little bit more production from the quarterback position or they're going to have, you. you know, and then you're going to have maybe a Tennessee that's trying to be a little bit more of an old school SEC team. You're going to have teams that are doing all sorts of different things. Whereas, say, in, uh, I don't know, like the ACC, you're going to have a bunch of teams that run it into the line and then punt. <laughs> they would punt on third down if, if, if you'd let them. But um, I, I think you do you do get a little bit more variety. And, and I think in the East, because of, of some of those same things, yes, Florida is very different from Boston. But you're getting teams that know that they need to go to Boston twice a year if they're playing in Florida nonetheless. So it's something they're, they're kind of built to do a little bit of that. But the, the West Coast teams kind of say there's such a variety in climates and I didn't even think of the altitude thing until you mentioned it, but that's an important one too. Those teams are built to perform at altitude and you have to kind of 
have a little bit of every club in the bag be ready to perform to, to have success in the West. Well, that, that should make for a fun, like match in, match out variety for fans. There's no question uh, about that. Where, where would, and by the way, I think all the quarterbacks in the ACC are offended at your comment. Um, <laughs> since they're, they're pretty good these days. Um, what, what about just in general, broadly stepping back from the, the current rosters and maybe current mm-hmm. predictions and, Oh, they Nashville SC should be fourth in the table or whatever, sort of step back from that and just say, all right, where has Nashville SC established itself in two years with the front office, with the coaching staff, now with the roster? Where has this club established itself in the hierarchy of the MLS, and where would that slot them in the Western Conference? Well, I think to to take it to the, the top of the of the league first, there's a team from the West and a team from the East that are that are head and shoulders above everybody else in the way that they are run, and I think people who listen to more. Uh, than just Nashville SC oriented MLS content know exactly which two those are. That's the Seattle Sounders in the West. They're far and away run the best of anybody and Philadelphia union, um, not quite to Seattle's level, I would say, but they're right behind them and, and well ahead of the rest of the league. Those are the two best clubs in terms of how they are run, not just on a year to year basis, but how they get it done year in and year out. Um, beyond that, I think there, there are some like LAFC had a couple incredible years, but has really, really, really fallen off. So I don't think you would put them ahead of Nashville SC. Nashville SC has made the playoffs the past two years, something LAFC can't claim, something LA Galaxy, a club that spends more than anybody else. They had Zlatan. They had multiple Dos Santos brothers. <laughs> They've had Chicharito <laughs> the past couple of years. Those are clubs that, that try to spend their way out of problems, I guess, at times and they have to do it right or it's not going to go well for them. Nashville SC probably slots into that second tier behind the Sounders and Philly. And um, maybe because they don't have a built out academy yet, which is an important part of, of running a, a successful uh, perennial, perennially successful MLS team that Nashville just, they can't do yet because it's so young as a franchise. Once they get that going, I think they'll be firmly in that second tier. But for now you're looking at maybe a Portland um, you should be looking at an FC Dallas, which has the best academy, but is is run so poorly from a first team perspective. I think Columbus Crew has been run very well, even though they did not have a great season this year. I think that's a, a good example of a, a team that wasn't good, despite the club being good for the most part. I think when you look at clubs like uh, Portland, Columbus, um, New, New England Revolution is is being run really well, but that's kind of more of a Bruce arena has done a really good job the past few years. Yeah. Is that something that's, that's going to be consistently available to them all the time? We don't know that because they hadn't been good before Bruce got there um, under Brad Friedel. They were kind of a disaster show, but Nashville's right be- behind that. Um, and then when the Academy gets going, obviously the goal is to be that Seattle or Philly caliber program. Um, Sporting KC is, is right there with them too. Uh, Mike Jacobs, who who came up under Peter yep. Vermees yep. at Sporting Kansas City, would be very mad if I, if I didn't remember <laughs> to mention SKC. But they're right there with with um, right behind Philly, I think, in third place there. But Nashville's clawing to get up to that second tier um, behind that that top trio, I think. You know, SC might not have the same market size and experience and academy that those L.A. schools, those L.A. programs do. But, you know, they have not traded away a U.S. men's national team captain for nothing. They haven't done that. So <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't for nothing. It was for a lot of money, Oh, but okay. uh, I would still say Nashville SC got the very best out of the Walker Zimmerman trade. I'm just, sure. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just pointing <laughs> it out that SC has not done that. In fact, um, as maybe, Hey, maybe Alistair Johnson's a Canada men's national team oh, God, captain in the future. And, and we're, and we're revisiting this in a year. <laughs> God, why'd you do that to me? I'm so, I'm still, I'm still angry that I, he's not on the team. I'm still, I know it was the right move. I get all the money. I get all of it. I just, <laughs> he's still frustrated he's so much fun and he's so talented he's gonna be a superstar anyway okay i digress um all right ne- next question um uh, uh tim coach tim um here at the press conference live mailbag here on club and country what about the evolution of the offense under gary smith it certainly mm-hmm. took strides if you want to call it that maybe they, maybe strides isn't the right word maybe it, it evolved and changed mm-hmm. its focus let's say from year one to year two it, what do we expect in year three is is there does he go back to year one to play it a little safer to sort of establish the team in a new conference? Is it, no, we believe in what we're doing. We're going to continue to evolve offensively because we've got all this star power now at the top of the lineup. Like what, what, what can fans expect from year three under coach Smith in the scheme? I think the biggest thing that you saw from year one to year two was just that Hani Mukhtar played better soccer and there was nothing that 
necessarily you could have predicted other than saying, okay, a guy coming to a new country for the first time in the midst, um, before he even knew that he was going to be doing so in the midst of a global pandemic, that's a really hard situation to step in and say, okay, go lead this team. Um, the fact that he stepped up in year two was the biggest difference. I don't think Nashville did a whole lot differently in terms of how they were attacking other than Hani Mukhtar gets the ball at his feet. And instead of, um, you know, kind of having an okay time, he had a really, really good time this year. The next step as you go into year three is to have more consistent compliments to him. I think Randall Layall took a small step back in year two after year one, where he ended up being, I think, the bigger piece of the attack than Hani Mukhtar was, believe it or not. If you only remember 2021, no, no, you're right. Go you're back right. and look, and Randall was probably the bigger piece of the attack. I think if he can get back to where he was in year one and you still get the year two version of Hani Mukhtar, you're you're really doing something right here. And then um, figuring out where a guy like Ake Loba fits into this attack is a big part of it too. We talked at the top of the show about where he kind of fits. Is he a striker? Um, does he play on a wing and, and give another uh, kind of potent piece out there? I think when you look at what CJ Sapong can bring to this club, it's really exciting. This is a dude who goes out and gets goals. If you want to explore more upside, though, Ake Loba probably has, um, and not least of which because he's like six years younger than Sapong, he has the, the, the upside to, to take this club's attack to another level. I do still think that you're going to see the back line, aside from occasionally sending the fullbacks up uh, on their overlaps, the back line is going to remain fairly static. The two, the two holding midfielders are going to be fairly static, except one of them is going to be able to get involved into the attack a little bit. It's going to be more about letting those, those front four guys cook and, and what they're able to do when they get forward and, and cook a little bit. And that's going to be the difference between what, what this club has done the past two years and what they do in year three. It's going to be how much they free those guys up, how much they're able to get those guys into more space when they receive the ball, more than kind of changing things. It's, it's, a, it's a Jimmy's and Joe's situation more than an X's and O's situation, I think. Who is this year's? Because you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, CJ Sapong was not supposed to be the guy that he was last year, right? When they signed him. No, as a, no. As I mean, he was, he's, he's so, kind of a journeyman. Yeah. So he, he I mean, I'm not asking you who's going to score double digit goals. That was unexpected. Like, that's not what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. But who is this year's CJ Sapong that people need to know about? I, I think I, I Again, I think you're happy if it's it's Randall Leal getting back to his year one form, but that, even that is like too recent to kind of say, okay, he's too good. You know, he doesn't count, right? I I would say that that when you look at some of the guys who have who have shown flashes but not really gotten there, a guy like Taylor Washington who has improved year over year, the the speed has always been there for Taylor, and the the work that he put into his game to become. Uh, more of a soccer player rather than an athlete from year one of USL to year two of major league soccer is insane. The question is, does he play a position and especially behind Dan Lovitz, is he going to get the minutes to, to be a difference maker like that? Yes, he can level up his game, but does that change any sort of paradigm for Nashville SC? Probably not. And that's why I think it has to be Ake Loba. This is a guy who scored just one goal last year. And um, that is not what the expectations were for him coming in even last year. Obviously, he dealt with fitness issues from the offseason at Monterey. Um, coming in and then having to do quarantine still, those sorts of things kind of slowed him. And then by the time he was ready to go, CJ Sapong was pouring in goals and he didn't want to take CJ off. Um, Ake Loba wasn't ready to play in the system as a winger because he was learning what the, the responsibilities of the striker were. It was kind of a situation where the position that was available to him was not the position that he was prepared for. And I think as you look at this offseason, what he's going to be ready for is to be able to play any position in the front four. And that's what's really going to help him find a role, regardless of whether it's striker, regardless of whether it's kind of more of an attacking midfielder, second striker like Hani was, or whether it's a winger. You, you have a little bit more versatility with what his skill set is. And I think now he's going to know how to use that skill set within the system. Is it crazy to throw Alex Moyle into the conversation and just say, I think you've got a little bit of upside in you? Is that, is that crazy for me to throw in there as another name on this group? And not, it's, not, it's, to no. the, not to the Loba level of, of Yeah, you know, it's not crazy. I, he, when I was, I was trying to think of somebody other than Ake because it's a somewhat obvious one. Alex came to mind, but he's a guy who's, whose skills are kind of known at this point. I think yeah. New York Red Bulls let him go because they, they felt that what they knew about his skills was not at a high enough level to kind of take that next step. I think Nashville believes that there is another step, but 
is it going to be a guy yeah. who who even scores four goals in a year? Probably not. Is he going to be a guy who maybe moves positions and, and plays plays a little bit more reserved as as kind of a defensive winger or like a, a wide midfielder and really levels up? Yes, potentially. But again, that's not necessarily one that fans are really going to notice and say, oh man, Alex Mills playing great. Right, he got yeah. like six tackles in that game. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's real easy to pinpoint the the free agent signing who scores double digit goals. It's easy yeah. to say, oh, yeah. that guy, that guy was a surprise. We, we love that. Um, yeah. So it's easy to pick out CJ Sapong. There's no question about that. Um, all right. Well, that, there's your, you're, you're off the, the press conference <laughs> is over. Press conference is over, Tim. Those are the hard, the hard, heavy hitters there from me. Um, as we, we're in, we're still in preseason form here on the pod. I, at least I am. How about that? Uh, you're in midseason form. I am in preseason right. form, but Wes, of course, we'll be back next week again. Shoot him some tweets at West Bowling TN. Tell him you're thinking about him and his family and make sure you include a picture of a smoky dog. That's all we ask. <laughs> I don't think it's that much to ask, right? Preseason games. You got U.S. men's national team stuff. What else you got for the good folks, Tim? Yeah, we're looking forward to the season is uh, obviously a part of the year that I really like it. It's no longer hot Tim winter. Unfortunately, hashtag hot oh. Tim winter is over uh, for the most part. We'll see when about did that, that right officially, When did that officially end? Why can't it be? Hot Tim spring and hot Tim summer. Why can't we? Well, do all it, of it? I guess it can go until the until the MLS transfer window closes at the beginning okay. of the season. But for now, <laughs> okay. but for now, uh, that right back position is really the only one. But looking looking forward to the to the season is something that is always so exciting for me because I really yeah. like to, to do the analytical stuff. And once you get into the grind of the week to week stuff, you kind of have to pair some of that back. So I'm really looking forward to previewing the season at clubcountryusa.com. And of course here with when Wes is back, when I don't have this bum with me, that's, that's <laughs> fair. You, you've, you're, you've carried me up and down the court for 48 minutes. Um, thank you so much, uh, Tim, obviously follow him on the Twitters at club country USA. It's clubcountryusa.com. Uh, of course, rate review, subscribe, share the show. We do appreciate it at West bowling TN of course is the regular professional hosts. Twitter account if you'd like to follow him. If you want to follow a slappy like me at Brazen Doll if you want. So thank you guys all for listening. We are we are here. The, the soccer is here, folks. There are, there is a match coming up like literally in the next week. And at Nashville SC will be on the pitch playing. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. And the guys right here at Club and Country have you covered. Thank you guys all for listening and hanging out. Wes, we miss you, man. He'll be back next week. This has been the Club and Country Podcast on the 440 Sports Network.